And there it is. We are back for the last show of the week, everybody. Uh, we're going to have a good time today talking about breaking free of old bullies. Another awesome guest. So get ready. Tune in. Let's jump in. Have some fun. Here we go. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody. This beautiful day before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that we do three live shows every week, which means lots of opportunity for you all to ask questions. If there's a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs or comment while we're live. Uh, follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Poly A. Let me know what you want us to talk about. And as always, as a reminder, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We are here to share our imperfect stories. I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, everybody, that is my daily spiel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the best part of the show, introducing our awesome guest. You know what I love about the sunrise? It is the start of a new day and a fresh beginning and new opportunities abound. Our guest today wants to help you get a fresh start. And she specializes in helping folks who have experienced trauma get unstuck so that they can live a more fulfilled and authentic life. Sometimes, a lot of times, a person needs a therapist to help them get through. Sometimes a person can't articulate their needs with words, but can express themselves better through art. And other times, a person needs a coach to get to the next level of growth and not a therapist at all. Today's guest can help no matter which of those boxes you might check. And with decades of experience under her belt, our guest can help you clear away that old dark stuff that's lingering in your life and break through the horizon with new light and invigoration. If you want to be a trauma-clearing, vision-realizing, transformational badass, tune in to learn more about how our guest can help you. Joining us today from Recreating Dawn Therapy and J.D. Williams Coaching out of Cleveland, O.H. <laughs> I.O., all right, welcome to the show, Joyous Williams. Okay, from Ohio, not a Buckeyes fan, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? That's fine. That's fine. I'll see you. I'll see you. Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time today. Uh, let's just jump right in and uh, let's start with a little bit about you. Tell me about uh, your decades of experience. Where do you come from and what on the path that leads you to this podcast? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for the introduction. I think that's the best introduction I've ever had. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> By one skill. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, hence the sorry, you know, uh, okay, okay. Ohioans. I'm a, I'm a Badgers girl. Um, I graduated 
uh, my undergrad in South Carolina and I moved to Arizona where I went to grad school for counseling and art therapy. So I have kind of lived all over the U.S. Um, and so I worked in a psychosocial rehabilitation for folks with serious mental illness in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I primarily worked for a long time. And then now I am here in Ohio in private practice working with all kinds of expansive folks from different identities. And that includes polyamory friends. I love that. Uh, I'm curious about like the population, I guess, in, uh, in Ohio. I think that that's, that's something that I, that I, I see a lot on the internet in the groups, like, where is everybody? What's going on? What's the poly community like out there in Cleveland? Yeah, you know, I, because um, I had moved here about two years ago, and of course, half of the time that I've been here was in a global pandemic, so <laughs> I have not been in community very much at all, so I had listed myself on polyfriendly.org, and I just, like, got all these referrals, and so I feel like there's a very strong, like, Catholic population here, mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's, like, more quiet, but, you know, there is a strong poly community in various parts of Ohio. <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. I love it. Okay, so you are all of these things. You are a coach. You are an art therapist. You are a regular therapist. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, which of these do you do most and which do you enjoy most? Oh, such a good question. Um, gosh, you know, I, I mix it all together. Coaching can, um, therapy can include coaching, but coaching can't include therapy. So mm-hmm. if I'm doing, if I'm being a coach, then I'm not your therapist, but I can bring in like elements of coaching into therapy. Uh, my specialization as a counselor is trauma. And so I think I bring in all the modalities to healing trauma, Um, especially relational trauma, which of course can come up in in polyamory. And so I love the art therapy. I love kind of, um, I think one of my superpowers is like recognizing what the need is under a behavior. And so getting down to the core of what's going on for someone like through talk therapy or other means, like I like all of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I mean, it's all good and it all has its place, you know, I'm sure that different people react differently or respond differently to uh, different types of of therapy. Um, I had mentioned in the bio, you know, some people maybe can't articulate in words what they're trying to say, but they're much better at expressing it uh, in art. Um, How do you make that determination? Yeah, so definitely assessing like how comfortable someone is with art making in their therapy. You know, unfortunately, we don't all have, we didn't all have like the best art teachers. And sometimes we judge our art and our art making skill and bring that into art therapy when it really has nothing to do with the product. Um, so really in art therapy, anybody can do it. It's just more of the comfort level of like, you know, maybe people are really inhibited and don't want to do that, or maybe it's just not their thing. Mm -hmm. So we have a conversation about that. Of course, I sometimes will introduce like you know, very simple, basic things to get people's feet wet. Also, trauma is not stored in the verbal parts of our brain. So that's something we talk a lot about too, so that they can understand why art can be helpful in a way that, you know, other therapies might not. 
Nice. And one of the things that you mentioned was uh, bringing different modalities. What do you mean by modalities? Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, I'm not trained in EMDR, but EMDR would be a type of therapy that's involved in trauma treatment. So art therapy could be one of those things, um, you know, different kinds of like cognitive behavioral therapy or, you know, mindfulness and DBT, all those kinds of things. When we're talking about art modalities, then we're, we're talking about any and every kind of art. So, you know, crayons and colored pencils to clay to collage painting. So that's a whole nother topic. What about writing? <laughs> writing, sure, writing, absolutely writing can be involved, especially when we're talking about from my approach, like a, um, like responsive writing, like exploring what we created visually with words as well. Got it. Got it. Cool. Good stuff. Okay. Basics on therapy covered. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about some, uh, some stories, some things that uh, you've done, some things that you've seen. Um, tell me about, you know, this, this idea of breaking free of old beliefs. Like what is it that I mean, there, there, there's something there because everything that I read about you, everything that I found about you, there, there's a lot of this idea of getting unstuck and and breaking free of old beliefs and all of this stuff. So what is it that inspires that to be like the central point of your practice and who you are? Mm -hmm. You have got the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so gosh, so my um, my family we grew up in a pretty restrictive religion, and so I think that there at a formative time we left out religion and changed our lives, and I got to witness that growing up with one mindset and then shifting that mindset, and then of course as an adult transforming and shifting that again, and so I think that it's a part of me in a way, like even early on that maybe it's not for other people. We also, in terms of just like our brains and our childhood, start modifying our emotions to our environment by about 11 months old. Mm -hmm. So once you start getting into therapy and coaching and things, and really once you start to get to an adulthood, you realize like, wow, there's a lot of things that I was taught that like, maybe they don't jive. Maybe I don't really feel that way that I was taught. And those things can be even subconscious that we're not aware of, that we're walking mm -hmm. around in the world with these approaches to life that don't really work with who we are anymore. I'm guessing that it's usually that way. Like, we don't necessarily recognize it as it's happening, but it's, uh, you know, it's like a realization that we have afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, until you get in, knee deep into this kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, then what happens? Then it gets messy and cool. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of this stuff that you said, it's tied into the things that we were raised with, the uh, the, the the beliefs that we had. You said as young as, as 11 months old. Um, and so what I think of and what we kind of talked about a little bit is how attachment uh, starts to fall into place here. So um, I've talked about attachment in the past. So if you could like sum it up, like as, as simply as possible, like what attachment is from your perspective and how these different things apply to the ways that we relate in attachment theory that way. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So attachment is basically just the quality of the relationship we had with our primary caregiver and whether they were able to meet our needs. Um, in therapy, we talk about the idea of the good enough parent. So it's not somehow that your parents were supposed to be perfect, but that they met most of your needs and they were able to emotionally attune to you and what you needed. Um, so obviously in context of our adult relationships, we're walking around with this adaptation to our parents all the time. And it shows up probably almost in every interaction we have everywhere, um, at least until we start to unpack it and, you know, shift it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely there. It's always, you know, so the the little bit that that I know is you know we've got our different types right our our avoidant mm -hmm. and um, anxious uh, secure of course and then there's another one I'm missing mm -hmm. like anxious fearful or avoidant fearful sometimes they call it um, there's like a chaotic or disorganized attachment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it got it so what is it about attachment like I guess, how do you apply it in, in your uh, practice when it comes to helping people break free of these old beliefs? Like once we're able to recognize what our attachment styles are, does that somehow make it easier to, to change things? Like how, how does it work exactly using the attachment theory in therapy? Yeah. So any insight is the first place to changing anything. Like if you're not aware of it, you don't have insight about something that is a behavior or belief or whatever, then you can't change it. Mm -hmm. So having a context of being able to see like, okay, this is who I have been. This is where I came from. Th these are my behaviors. And then having like, I even say this about diagnosis, like diagnosis is great where it gives you an understanding of who you are, you know, the issues that you face that you're not alone and where it doesn't work for you, like, don't worry about it, you know? So the same thing applies with attachment of like, it helps you understand who you are and how you operate in the world. And that can be validating. It can also obviously doing this process can bring up like grief or sadness around mm -hmm. what maybe you missed. But ultimately that does allow you to shift how you're showing up in your relationships in the present, like that awareness, the awareness of your partner or multiple partners, attachment styles, and then like how you build secure attachment in the now. All right. I want to hear like an example, like um, let's say that, you know, you have a, a client who is, anxious avoidant right so how exactly does that show up in their relationship and what are some ways that identifying their anxious avoidant attachment style can shift their mindsets and create the secure attachment like like I, I get as as much into the nitty-gritty of how that works as you can yeah. So I'm actually going to break it out for you a little bit. And I'm going to give you one partner who is anxious and one partner who is avoidant. Okay. Because that can be a dance that a lot of folks get into. Um, and an anxious attachment partner is sort of fearful around like their needs being met. Like they're, they're the pursuer in the relationship. They're the one who wants to spend more quality time. They're the one who needs lots of affirmation. They could probably spend 24 seven with you and, and like, maybe they'd be satisfied, but 
they need that it feels like for the avoidant person then that might feel needy right of like got it right and the avoidant person is more like shut down from their emotions like i don't need anyone i'm maybe when there's a big crisis or like oh crap i need someone someone and you freak out in those moments but otherwise it's like calm cool collected i'm cool over here i'm independent got it so you will see this back and forth dance, right? Like lots of, of people come into therapy and have this, this problem with partners or, you know, obviously the more partners we bring in to play in these things, the more attachment styles that there are, the more complicated Ooh. it can get, Ooh. right? Yeah, I know where, where the conversation's going next. <laughs> right. So in this example, like, one partner might be ready to leave because they're not getting their needs met. And the other person is like, I'm giving you the best that I can and, and it's not good enough. And they're triggered by that person's like, like, I, I don't like the negative words, but like the overbearingness, right. Of mm -hmm. like, he or keep pursuing me. And I don't know what to do with that because it overwhelms my nervous system. Then that relationship might not survive just because of their attachment styles and their emotionality and then their behaviors in the relationship, right? Of like distancing, you know, if you have a fight, I'm going and shutting my door and I'm not talking to you. Mm -hmm. And then the anxious attachment person is freaking out because they feel abandoned. Like that's not sustainable right? Right. in a relationship, these kinds of things. Like, yep, you know, for sure. No, it, it, it will it'll continue to be the, uh, the opposite magnets, right? Or right it, the, totally. the, same, the same, the same pole magnets, right? right, right opposite yeah. the track, right? Like uh, anyway, I remember stuck, science. But like repelling totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember science. Okay. So, so that's how, you know, these, these attachments, uh, these attachment styles work, right? Like that's kind of in practice, how they, uh, or maybe in reality, whatever, how they, how they operate. Now the question is, how do we go from okay, I'm I'm an avoidant style, right? And the more that you tell me that you need me, the more I'm like, yo, bro, back off, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do we get to how does identifying that? Hey, I'm avoidant. So now, what do I need to do to be to have more of that secure style? I guess because it sounds like secure is the point what are some things that I need to do to have that more secure attachment to be able to um, give my partner what they need? Is it just the fact that I know that I'm avoidant? Is that like all I need? It's the start. I think that like, you know, identifying attachment styles is good, but we also never want to like judge ourselves for that. Cause like, what would we do about it? There's nothing we can change. We all had a relationship with some kind of a caregiver, whoever that was. Right. Mm -hmm. So identifying it is super important, but the only way that we can really heal attachment is in relationship. So you can do attachment based work with a therapist, but I can't be your attachment figure because I'm not there in your life giving you your basic needs, right? So being able to learn about attachment and learn about what you need in relationship and what your partner needs. And, you know, with anything, it's about like distress tolerance. So learning to be present with your emotions and mm -hmm. be with your partner and express those feelings and allow yourself to be vulnerable as an maybe an avoidant person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is going to be part of the work that has to be done in order mm. to start feeling secure in a relationship 
same thing of like with anxious, it's also like understanding the other person's perspective and learning to self-soothe and not like always seeking that external person to do your emotional regulation for you or to meet all of your needs. I love it. I love it. Um, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking to myself, okay, so when we start to do this work and when we uh, start to recognize these patterns, uh, easy enough if we just have one partner, now we talk polyamory. That's mm-hmm. where the conversation was going to go. So we've we've like 10x difficulty mode, right? Like like we Absolutely. went from, from easy mode or whatever normal mode to legendary, right? I was a big Halo fan. So what are the uh patterns I guess that you see in polyamorous folks when it comes to uh these attachment styles and the way that they manifest in multiple relationships mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well i think the first thing to note is just that like we when we're in a monogamous relationship we can stay in that back and forth pattern whatever pattern we were in is like super comfortable because it's probably what we had as a child even if it's not like the most healthy thing for us so i think that that's where the difference comes in is you can stay in this back and forth when it's one person you might stay like unhappily married forever in that mm-hmm. dynamic and you're not even aware of it. You're not paying attention to it. It doesn't affect you that much. It can be swept under the rug. But then when you add another partner in, I think that we, you know, with jealousy and stuff, it's like, oh, it's easy to say like, oh, that's just being jealous, right? But honestly, I think that that's the biggest thing people don't expect when they go into to being poly is your attachment wounds, if you have them, are going to be triggered. That mm. might show up as jealousy or things that, you know, they or emotional reactivity and like, I don't know why I'm reacting this way. Right. And it's like being, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, let's not just assume that it, you're being jealous and you need to evolve. Let's wonder like, what is it that actually is a core belief about yourself or your relationships or your value in relationships or your safety in relationships that is being triggered. And so, you know, really, that's where the therapy and some of that stuff comes in. That's where a lot of people come to me, right? Of like, I started doing this and now everything is overwhelming and stressful and like, help me figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Help, help. (laughs) Right. When someone comes to you asking for help, what, what do you take into consideration when helping them decide if they want therapy or if they need therapy or if they need coaching uh my guess and tell me if i'm wrong here that you don't so much talk about attachment theory in coaching because that seems more like a therapy thing to me mm-hmm. so uh wh- what are the considerations what what kinds of things do you go through to determine whether they are coaching clients or therapy clients you know it's a really fine line especially when we're talking about poly because A lot of folks come to therapy or any service as it relates to poly focused on what's going on with poly. You know, in in traditional mental health counseling, it's focused on treating a mental illness, a diagnosis. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's not something that's relevant to being poly Um, in terms of just the difference between where like my line would be is it's really about kind of like functioning level and assessing like you know, 
if there's something more going on that affects your ability to function, your ability to take care of yourself, things like that, we're going to definitely be in therapy. If there's a like a major risk to, of harm, obviously, those are things that are absolutely th- therapy. Um, I think that it's important to have had some kind of therapy, at least, you know, if you're going to dive deep with me in coaching, then having told someone your stories and your life is really important. Like, I think that you need to be able to air out your stories before you can just start to like pick them apart and reshuffle Mm. them in your mind. (laughs) So it sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong again, um, it sounds like you're saying that before doing coaching, people should probably go through therapy just to kind of pave the way. Yeah. I mean, not everyone feels that way. There's a lot of stigma around therapy for sure. And obviously, especially when we're talking about, Right. And when we're talking about diverse communities and poly being one of those, that it's also hard to find competent professionals that, you know, believe that ethical non-monogamy is an acceptable lifestyle. And so Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. hard, too. So um, but yeah, generally, I think, you know, I'm like wave the flags for therapy. Everybody needs therapy. There's nothing wrong with therapy. You know, it's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. One hundred percent. Therapy is good. Everybody. I'm I'm happy that I'm finally doing it myself. Okay, one uh, more question before we uh, start to wrap up here. This one is about you personally, just because you brought it up, and I was really interested to hear what you were going to say about it. So uh, when it comes to your poly experience, you had this term. I'm not even going to spoil it. I'm going to let you go ahead and talk <laughs> about it. Um, tell me what this term is and what it means to you, how you got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So uh, I dabbled several years ago with Polly. I am currently a monogamous relationship marriage. Um, and, you know, if you've ever read or anybody's read Polly Secure, I feel pretty poly saturated in terms of like, I have a family and a life. And I also have all of my clients and all of their partners and their metamors. And so I feel pretty poly saturated personally by all of that. <laughs> and I think, um, I really see relationship from um, Kim Tallbear talks about the idea of relational multiplicity. And I really like that, right? Because our society is so focused on um, like sexual relationships or romantic relationships as like the pinnacle of what is the highest, best relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, m- relational multiplicity is just much more about the idea of like, we all have different kinds of relationships with different people. I have right. a relationship with my daughter. I have a relationship with my clients. Yes, those mm-hmm. aren't the same relationship, but the importance of the relationship isn't, you know, there's not a hierarchy there of like my best friend and my husband or whatever else. So I like that idea of like really just taking, taking like sexual and romantic relationships off the highest you know <laughs> right the highest pedestal yeah exactly yeah. exactly i gotcha i gotcha um it sounds a little bit to me like relationship anarchy i'm guessing you've heard that you're familiar with that mm-hmm. would you mm-hmm. say that it's pretty much the same or what differences would you say it has you know, it's hard because like on one hand, I like the idea of relationship anarchy. And I also think that as human beings, like the execution of that is a lot harder than we're like, we can philosophize about that. And that can be an ideal. But like I talked about with all this attachment stuff, like, 
there's going to be things that people need from us and how do we mm-hmm. navigate those and how do we have secure attachment if we can just like be like, well, I'm going to change. We're going to change the nature of our relationship today. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think like in relationship anarchy that, that um, relationships just, change like i mean i guess all relationships have that ability to change uh and Mm -hmm. so you know in that sense sure but it makes it sound like you know relationship anarchists would not have um i I don't know like 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 it almost made it sound like like it would be uh whatever this relationship it almost doesn't matter but i don't think that that's it at all and i know that's not what you were trying to say Uh, Mm um but like relationship uh, relational multiplicity hello pup uh relational multiplicity the way that you uh described it it just sounded a lot the same where we don't um prescribe any kind of hierarchy it makes no difference in if our relationships are romantic or sexual or not um and i mean that to me like that's the basis of relationship anarchy so i don't know i was just a question yeah you know As you're saying that, it makes me think about maybe it's just the way that I feel about the terminology, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. relationship multiplicity feels expansive to me, whereas relationship, like the word anarchy and what we mean about anarchy and how we associate that word, like, you know, I just, I think I I prefer the one that feels expansive. I I get it. I get it. I had a guest on here who uh, preferred the word multigamy to non-monogamy because non-monogamy again the non has that negative connotation as if monogamy were were you know meant to be the default so non uh but multigamy you got just monogamy or multigamy so mm-hmm. words you know all words are made up as uh my buddy thor likes to say all right, all right. Joy, <laughs> it's been so much fun uh, chatting with you, getting to know you. Uh, before we head off, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked or anything that I forgot to ask you? No, I no, I feel like we covered a lot of deep stuff real quick. So I'm sure that that leaves people with lots of questions, but you know, they can follow along to your podcast or reach out to me if they want to like, dig into that more <laughs> absolutely and before i i uh i will ask you how people can reach out to you but are there any final thoughts that was the other option any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with the audience um i don't think so i just think it ba- right back to like it, there's no shame in in like seeking help and therapy and if you're new to poly or you have new relationships and you're having different reactions that you didn't have before you know, not to judge them, but to seek help to explore those in a non-judgmental and supportive way, whether that is with a coach or a therapist. Absolutely. Hashtag end the stigma. Uh, And on that note, how can people get in touch with you if they do want to work with you? And do they need to be anywhere specific to work with you? Mm -hmm. So for therapy, uh, yeah, the Instagram at recreating dawn or recreatingdawn.com. Those are mostly for folks in Ohio. And then coaching can pretty much be anywhere. I am also going to do a for those that are in Ohio, we're probably going to start an online poly support group in the fall, me and my intern. 
Um, so yeah, take check that out. Also, um, for coaching, it's jd-williams.com. jd-williams.com. Very cool. Joy, once again, it has been my honor and pleasure to get a chance to chat with you. I just want to thank you one more time uh, for spending some time with us and, and giving us your valuable insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been awesome. All right, everybody. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our our Patreon, where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast, if you haven't already. And please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all we've got for you all today. Thank you once again to our awesome guest. And until next time, have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.